Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us on another COP28 edition of the Climate Bond Cafe, powered by Bologna Europa. It's been hectic, but it's been brilliant, and we've still got plenty more content on the ground from Dubai. Our guest today is a Bologna Europa friend of the show, but I'll let them say a little hello in a second. We're talking narratives, interpretations, and learning around renewable energy today. Why are we still having conversations about scaling up? and what needs to happen to facilitate this. And I'm sure we'll have time to cover COP itself. Among the controversies, what are the lessons from Dubai? Hey, hello, thank you for having me. My name is uh, Marta Lovizolo, and I work uh, for Bologna for our Brussels office, and I um, lead our work uh, on uh, renewable energies. Marta, it's especially nice to have you. It's been nice to have all my guests, but we're in a bit of a, a rare situation today where you've actually been doing a little bit of work on the ground for the Climate Bonds Cafe, trying to get people in, asking them questions, doing a lot of the running around that I'm actually un unable to do. So I have to start off the show by giving you a really big thank you. It's been it's been very appreciated. You've made life uh, a lot easier for me. Um, let's, I mean, let's talk about that in that case, just some of your your work on the ground. Um, how are you finding COP so far? I guess we're at the tail end now. And what have you got on your sort of agenda? What what sort of topics are you are you broadly covering while you're out there? So I cover mostly topics related to renewable energy and uh, and hydrogen. So I came to COP with a little bit of uh, two objectives. On on one hand, I want to um, you know, expand my work, my daily work uh, from Brussels by meeting important stakeholders here and participating at events uh, on the topics I cover in Brussels uh, to establish relationships, learn more, learn about also uh, perspectives from other parts of the world that normally aren't uh, really present in our uh, Brussels discussion. Um, but at the same time, uh, renewables this year uh, made uh, uh, took a big space in the negotiations and therefore um, it's important for us as an organization to have somebody that works on renewables on a daily basis to be able to to, to see this role that uh, renewables are taking in the negotiations and so I'm also following that part and uh, trying to assess uh, whether or not these uh, pledges that countries are putting out there on renewables, on hydrogen, on methane leakages uh, make sense and how they could be improved and how they could be worked in, uh, into the, the language that is going to come out from COP. Well, let's stay with renewable energies uh, just before we maybe touch on hydrogen, because I know that's that's a little more complicated of a, a topic than renewable energy. Um, if I'm if I'm a real kind of cynic, I look at renewables as as almost quite an obvious starting point in terms of of the action needed. So, presumably, I mean, no one, I guess, would go to COP if you didn't find a lot of obstacles and challenges in in that sort of area is the main thing just about sort of improving the narrative around that or are you finding more sort of fundamental challenges well narratives are definitely important because um we all know renewables are fundamental if we want to transition our energy system from the current fossil based one uh to one that doesn't um impact our climate we need a lot of renewables at the same time, nobody wants a wind turbine in the backyard. Nobody wants a 
huge power line passing above their house. And so creating narratives uh, for people to understand that we need renewables and we need to massively deploy at a scale and as a speed that nobody ever seen before, it's actually, um, it's actually crucial. And then there's a lot of other obstacles. Um, we need to finance these renewables. Deploying renewables in the global north is definitely easier because governments can afford uh, subsidy schemes and they can put in place uh, regulations to support this. But uh, financing them in the global south is harder and especially in countries that have um, very underdeveloped uh, electricity grids or that have been heavily relying on uh, burning fuels in the uh, you know in this village in the town in the local area to produce electricity or not even really rely on electricity but still rely on you know um, burning fossil fuels or burning uh, other things to get uh, their daily needs uh, for energy. Uh, just just kind of coming on to, to hydrogen briefly. You mentioned you were kind of listening, learning, you know, trying to absorb a lot of information while you're out there. It's an area that's a little more, I guess, misunderstood, contentious. Can you just explain to me, like I'm six years old, the the kind of narratives around that, maybe where we're at broadly in talking about hydrogen in, in the context of climate action? So hydrogen is a clean burning fuel. So when you burn hydrogen, you do not emit any CO2. So in a world in which we heavily depend on fuels that do emit CO2, now think oil, think gasoline, like all these fuels, when we burn them, we emit CO2. Having access to a fuel that when it's burned, it does not emit CO2, it's a little bit of a dream, you know, like you, you can solve all the problems on paper. The problem is that this hydrogen needs to be produced. You don't just find it in nature like that. It, it's actually a little bit ironic because hydrogen is the most common element in the universe, but on Earth, you always find it compound in other molecules. And therefore, if we want hydrogen to be able to burn it, uh, to get energy from it, we need to first separate these molecules. Now, there are several ways to produce hydrogen. Um, we produce hydrogen today mostly from uh, methane, and uh, this is a very dirty process that emits CO2. So that's not the hydrogen that we need to be able uh, to uh, go towards an energy transition. But there are other ways to produce hydrogen, and one of these is uh, splitting the water molecule through electricity. Now, if and only if this electricity comes from renewables, um, the production process of this hydrogen, um, it's also uh, clean. So it's not only clean when we burn it, it's clean also when we produce it. It's a very good solution in, in some sectors. The problem is that the production of hydrogen is very um, electricity hungry. You need a lot of electricity to produce not so much hydrogen. And therefore, uh, on one hand, we have this tool that potentially can decarbonize so many sectors and substitute so many fuels. But at the same time, producing it requires a lot of primary energy. And therefore, there is a little bit of competition between um, different uses for uh, for this electricity. We have renewables. We know deploying renewables is hard. Uh, people do not want wind turbines in their backyard. 
that we need a lot of this clean power to produce this hydrogen that people want. So people want hydrogen, but they don't want the wind turbines to, to produce it. And, and there is where the narrative breaks. So hydrogen, you know, has been portrayed as this, um, you know, solution for everything, uh, but at the same time, producing it in a truly clean way is really hard. And so we don't have much of it. And so now we have to see how can we actually take advantage of this solution but at the same time, do not, um, you know, cannibalize all the renewables that we have on the grid today. That's both kind of fascinating and also humbling in terms of how uh, little I knew around that sort of area and how much I could I could learn going forward. Um, let, let, let's talk about lessons then, then Marta. I'm not necessarily going to ask you every single thing you've learned on the ground, because I imagine your area of, of sort of technical expertise just completely gazumps mine but just generally what's been your kind of opinions of, of of everything on the ground has anything particularly surprised you what's been as we get to the tail end of cop what have been your sort of main takeaways so far i really like the conversation how the conversation here um can be global and it can have very different perspectives so i work on hydrogen but i also work on deployment of electricity grids and yesterday i hosted an event to discuss narratives uh, around electricity grids. And my assumption is people do not like grids. But one of the speakers that I had on the panel was actually working for uh, Sustainable Energy for All, which is uh, an organization under the UN umbrella that actually works to implement SDG 7, so um, access to power for everybody. And I asked him, why? people don't like grids and his answer was well in the global south people love grids because grids bring you bring you livelihood brings you you know jobs and opportunities and everything so people love power um, and even better clean power and so i think my lesson from uh, from cop is also that uh, what we uh, do in Europe and what we learn from the European context and often we assume we can just copy paste for the rest of the world it's really not the case um, contexts are very different what people want in the rest of the world is very different and and what they need it's very different so COP for me it's also very much uh, an occasion to go ask those people um, you know coming from different geographies different sectors uh, different uh, experiences okay what's your take on this how can we work together towards you know a fossil free and uh, um, you know Paris aligned uh, world in which climate change is not a problem anymore but we get there together. And so I, I think that's the main lesson from golf for me. And I'm going to have to put you on the spot a little bit here, Marta. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with people within Bologna just about the, you know, the, the discussions around COP, whether to, whether to go with the, the context of it being held in, in Dubai. There's a lot of uh, scrutiny around COP at the best of times, but I mean, we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of the event now. I know you've got a few things lined up before you you head back, but is your gut feeling that it was it was worthwhile attending? For me, it was worthwhile attending. Now, if I had a magic wand and I could have made COP happen somewhere else, 
uh, and also not being surrounded by this, you know, um, uh, oil and gas lobbyists and also not being driven by an oil country. Of course, I would have wanted. But now being part of the conversation is important. If we leave the conversation, you know, if we boycott COP, we decide not to come and we leave the conversation only to these oil and gas people, then it's going to be worse. Worse. So I think actually that as a climate activist or somebody that works in climate, it's even more important to be present here and fight against these narratives uh, that uh, fossil fuel um, companies and countries are bringing to the stage. And so did I want to come to Dubai? Absolutely not. Am I unhappy every time I spend one euro in Dubai? Absolutely, yes but I'm still here to represent what I believe in and to bring on uh, our messages. One of the interviews I had uh, earlier this week described it as, you know, if you're, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So I don't know if that's that sort of feeling very familiar, but um, I, I have to say it's been such a pleasure sitting down with you today. I know you've got a few things lined up. I know you're mega, mega busy. Um, there's there's not sort of I know there was a rest day at COP but I imagine it doesn't really feel like it when you're on the ground so I'm gonna have to say thank you so much for joining me it's been honestly such a pleasure well actually on on rest day there was the uh, hydrogen transmission summit so my rest day was a hydrogen summit with a uh, full of companies that were there to try and grab as much money as possible not caring at all about the climate so i would say my rest day was my worst day at cop so it <laughs> doesn't feel very restful at all they're not restful at all but also about you know getting different perspectives in i'm you know i knew what the industry wanted but seeing it here at COP in this venue and the amount of greenwashing around hydrogen that I saw here and experienced here, it was important to see um, first. And, but um, thank you very much uh, for having me uh, with you today. And uh, I'll go back to the ground and, um, and I hope together we'll get there. I think so too. Keep up the good work and, and COP is very much lucky to have you there, Marta. Thank you. Such a genuine pleasure to chat with Marta Lovisolo today. I do love a guest that can cover such a wide range of topics in a way that's interesting and accessible. Every day feels like a school day covering COP, and in Marta, I think we found ourselves a great teacher. Here's a quick reminder to say hello to Bologna Europa if you're on the ground in Dubai. If you want to hear more about hydrogen, Marta will be joining a webinar on the subject on Tuesday the 12th of December. So check out our social media at Climate Bonds or head to climatebonds.net. And Spotify is where to head for all previous and upcoming Climate Bonds Cafe podcasts. See you next time.